Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of coming back from the dead and finding out that there are aliens. Yeah, but did anybody hear him scream out in space? That's the important question. Oh, wait, we already know. I'm not saying it's aliens, but... It's aliens. Yeah, I was waiting for the big hair guy quote, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyways, um, welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, we are talking about aliens in Bureau 13. Most of the alien adventures actually took place in the, in the uh, supplement I produced in Outpost Games called Aliens Among Us, because, of course, you'd expect to have a lot of aliens. And I did that because I said, there's not enough alien stories in Bureau 13. It's all about vampires and werewolves and things like that, and we need to broaden the, our appeal. And Richard was like, "Yeah, yeah, because aliens are going to uh, alien invasion and stuff is going to be a really big thing coming up." And he made uh, uh, and and he basically uh, made the uh, uh, incursion, which was aliens coming, taking humans and taking them away, and and then adventuring out in a galactic civilization instead of the horror slash. Uh, uh, conspiracy things which everybody else took, especially with uh, X-Files. So so he didn't call that, but, you know, Richard was always more toward the friendlier, uh, happier side of of, of gaming versus the, you know, deep, dark, you know, vivisection, uh, mind control and things like that. So it doesn't surprise me that that happened. But these are the uh, adventures that took place in that, in Aliens Among Us. The first one was called Intruder, where uh, it, you, we're introduced to the idea that uh, Bureau 13 actually has a lunar station. It's on the far side of the moon, where nobody can see it normally. Uh, and it's there as an early warning network to, uh, uh, to warn you know, the world that, that aliens are coming. Uh, it, they are. Um, and there's, there's, and there is a, uh, but in order to get the information to the other side of the moon, because they're on the far side of the moon, they have a satellite that orbits literally just above the highest mountains on the, uh, uh I'm not sure what the term is. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's basically, as you look at the moon, the, the edge at the very edge, the, the, you know, the, the white, you know, uh, that way. And so that way they can send transmit uh, signals to what's called they call bedroom eye and send it off back to earth to be received by the various receiving stations we have back on 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 earth in our world so uh and something basically destroys bedroom eye and of course they're like it's aliens it's an alien invasion you know and uh, and they they have to send uh, a team up to the basically to the moon uh, because obviously, because they don't know what the state is for 
on the other side. Nobody has, uh, they, they did have like lunar landers and spaceships, but nobody has come up and, uh, and, and sent any signal back to Earth since this has happened. So they're really afraid that there's been an alien, alien invasion on the moon and they need to send a team up there to at least investigate it. And that's what the adventure is about. And then, of course, the uh, the the final confrontation with the uh, um, you know the the aliens on the actual um, far side uh, base. So that's uh, that's that that's the first one in the book that I wanted to start strong. Then we have Red Rocket Ranger, which was a superhero story, but he the the so the 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 uh, titular uh, Red Rocket Ranger is actually a guy who found a. Uh, uh, basically a super science ring uh, that was uh, from an alien spacecraft that 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 crashed and uh, they uh, and he he was injured in the uh, in the uh, not by the crash not by, he wasn't in the crash he was injured because of the the crash that happened he got close to it and got damaged by the energies that were coming from it as it was as it was destroyed and he uh, uh, put on a suit to cover up his scars and things like that and became a superhero. But it was an artifact from an alien craft, an alien device, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, then there was uh, a, a one called Taking Out the Trash, which was, um, uh, which was ve- uh, very much like, um, uh, like the uh, Roach Motel. Uh, except that this guy was actually uh, buying up all of the uh, uh, all of the vinyl records he could find, because apparently, out in his galactic civilization, they are religious artifacts. Okay, so he's basically you know, and uh, uh, and he's and not just that, he's after everything. He uh, he basically is. Uh, uh, has gotten like the uh, trash concession for uh, a neighborhood, and he's taking all the uh, all the trash and beaming it up to his spaceship that's cloaked up in orbit. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the way the adventure starts is is that a uh, uh, he's not very up on uh, flight paths of aircraft, and a passenger jet flies into the path of his transmat beam. And <laughs> And all of a sudden, all this trash appears in the middle of this jet. Yeah. No, it's more like a whole lot of jet wing disappears. Oh. Yeah. And jet goes crashing down and people die and stuff. And he doesn't feel responsible for that. He just, you know, it's just bad luck. Uh, but, anyways, that was taking out the trash. Uh, uh, what about Awakenings? Uh, you skipped that one, yeah. Oh, right, right. Well, um, Awakenings. Uh, wasn't uh, an alien. It was a cryptid that uh, people thought was an alien. So uh, it's that's uh, uh, that's why it's it's in there because people thought it was an alien, Got but it. it really wasn't. Okay. Same way, Coyote Weeps uh, is uh, you know it, it, it's it's and part of the story does take place uh, in space, uh, but on the moon actually. Uh, but it is uh, really a story about the old gods having fun with humans. <laughs> the uh, uh, the one that was written by uh, uh, one of the writers that got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of fame at the time for all of his writings uh, uh, in the uh, White Wolf uh, series, uh, William Spencer Hale. Uh, he wrote 
uh, the I see my reflection in steel blue eyes, uh, which uh, which was a really nice story, but it wasn't much of an adventure because it did give the uh, the team very much to do. <laughs> it's a uh, he, he 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 it was more prosy than 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 adventure design. Uh, but uh, it was cool. It was cool writing, so uh, I included it. But essentially, we had alien anthropologists. They were there studying humans, and uh, and and they were going to leave. So uh, so we had alien anthropologists there. The ghost aliens robbed the first bank of Atlanta is not an alien story again. Uh, it's actually about a guy who's dressed in a spacesuit because he's made he's he's been able to make a device that allows him to phase through walls and things that he's using to rob a, a a big bank in Atlanta, and they see this guy wearing a spacesuit and they say it's got to be an alien, so it's actually a high tech fraud. Okay. All right. However, Grandma doesn't know me anymore. Is classic horror um, alien. Aliens, uh, all of a sudden, you have in these uh, retirement communities, you have people who apparently are like having strokes or uh, they, they seem to be having like a lot of problems remembering, a lot of memory issues. Okay. And as it turns out, if you actually go and open up their heads, there's, no, there's nothing inside except there's a chip. Essentially, aliens have stolen the brains from these old people and replaced it with a mediocre uh, microprocessor chip that simulates the old person. You know, basically has a re has a, a recording of their brain a so that they can pass off. And then they take the brains and they sell it on the galactic market as either you know for uh, for embedded AI work and other things like that. So. Uh, and it's the it's the uh, team's job to basically stop them from, you know, harvesting these these elderly, uh, which because it's apparently a really good gig for them. Uh, and um, my uh, my it was one of the one of the first adventures my wife uh, 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 as a player ran into, and uh, we had a vampire on the team. And at one point, one of the one of the team members basically gets shot through the chest by a, a laser beam, and he. Definitely dying, basically loses his heart. And the vampire's like, I can save him, but I can't do it unless you give me permission. Do you yeah. want me? And she had, she had to make the decision whether or not to uh, save the team member. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> sensing the air quotes when Bruce says, yeah. save. Yeah. Their, their air a lot, I, feel, I feel them from Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, lo a lot of, of the players, you know, were... As, because again, you know, we had a lot. There was a lot of competition for Vampire the Masquerade, and a lot of people saw vampires as being really evil well, beings, yeah. and so therefore, it's like, yeah, you're undead, you're a vampire, but you're not really yourself anymore. You're some some weird version of yourself, and that's that's not what they would have wanted. So it's uh, and so the, we we had a lot of people who did. As a matter of fact, we had a number of people that that particular vampire got offed by the the rest of the team because they just didn't like him, and he didn't do anything to deserve it. I mean, this vampire was really trying to go to, to toe the line for the bureau strictures, allowing him to survive and not be offed by the bureau, and they killed him anyways. So, is <laughs> they just really hated vampires. Okay, um, 
And then the final entry um, was, uh, that was also from Aliens Among Us, is Cold Blue Light, which is uh, one of the, uh, uh, which was written by Richard, Richard Holka, and uh, about these cold blue lights that were being seen in, at, at night and there were a number of car wrecks that were attributed to them and such. And it turned out there was a lost alien baby. And these were like uh, uh, child care robots that basically weren't going to stop at nothing to find it. And were slowly working through a grid to try to find this alien. And, of course, you, your job was to, A, find the alien first, and then, B, figure out some way to reunite the alien with the uh, the robots before it basically got they, they something something happened and it took out the town. So, uh, uh, and uh, and as far as I know, that's uh, that's all the alien lore that's actually in Bureau Thirteen. Uh, I'm trying to remember because I haven't looked it up. Was I know I know that they uh, in um, in uh, Black Powder. Uh, they they had an al uh, they had a spaceship that was made. Was it an alien spaceship that they? Yeah, basically aliens came to Earth, and all they wanted was some like boilerplate and copper wire, and the bureau gave it to them, and they tried as a reward, you know, thank you, gave something that the bureau was just like, eh, it was a transistor. The bureau got it and like, okay, what what are we gonna do with this? I mean. Because, you know, it was 1880s. Yeah, 1880s. transistors came out, what, in the 50s? In the 50s. Yeah, so it's like they were looking at this, okay, yeah, fine, whatever. And they probably just put it away in some vault somewhere. But yeah, that is the only knowledge of aliens that I know of from the uh, the Black Powder timeline. Right. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, I remember... Uh, there, is, there is Ancient Astronauts, that number 10 on the D100 of... Uh, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, long before humanity rose from the valleys of Africa, many beings from other suns walked our world. There were many contacts with primitive civilizations as well as failed colonies that were swallowed by time and geological upheaval. From these are the artifacts and records that are scattered across the planet. From stone recorded discs in China to scrolls detailing detailed engineering for flying machines in India, it's all hidden out there good and bad. Well, many of these artifacts are harmless, a few can be dangerous in the wrong hands. That's back with alien devices. It's just, this is stuff that's been here for millennia. Uh, let's see, is there anything else alien-esque? Alien-esque. I think I just made up a new word. <laughs> y'all, listeners, y'all can use a it without royalty issue. Alien-ish, I believe is what uh, you're going for. Uh, let's see. As far as what's in Bureau 13, I, I think that might be it. But then we also got to keep in mind that the Bureau 13 universe is the Incursion universe, as well as one of the universes in Fringeworthy. Right, right. And oh, well, the Incursion book, there's like, what, 50 or 60? Well, I would say maybe 40 alien races that just... And I mean, they're everything from other variants of humans that evolved on other worlds to animated sentient piles of sticks or um well the roach motel i mean with a little bit of tweaking you could make that 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 bug quote unquote what is the cockroach name in incursion the narakani you can just say he's a narakani from the 
the incursion races. You have muties, which are, yeah, they were humanoid, but they may have one eye, or they may have an extra arm, or they have different colored skin. And if you're doing Bureau 13d20, you can just use the OGL rules for the, what is it, the planetary adaptation feat, where, oh, you're on a barren world, or you're a high gravity, low gravity, a twilight world, a bright world, a hot, cold world, whatever. And so you would have, they and they just call them muties. Um, there's the Constopnor, which again, it's another human-like race, and they're the ones that run the Constopnor Consortium, and the Light Force, which are featured in the Incursion books. Incursion would probably be, besides the stuff that is in OGL, and of course all the stuff that Bruce put out through Outpost Games, Aliens Among Us, Incursion would be your best bet to add alien races to a Bureau 13 adventure. Now, there is also something Jonathan brought up. Again, you know, we have our little Facebook group that we, you know, we kitbash together topics for the week. And Jonathan, you did bring up a good question. It's basically, how far is the Bureau explored? How far has the Bureau, what, do they have trees with certain races or certain uh, interstellar entities? I mean, I'm exploring that now in the Bureau 13 campaign I'm wrapping up with Saturday Night, which Fur's in. And so, and of course, I added races. Yeah, there's Zemex Starport, where the Bureau team has been. But also, I've thrown in, like, various alien races from a couple other role-playing games that were, you know, D&D-esque or, you know, OGL. And I just said, okay, these are the aliens you guys are dealing with. But, yeah, the incursion races would probably be your best bet. But as I said, Jonathan brought up a good point. How far has the Bureau explored? What is the capability of their space travel? Or do they just... Um, well, because there's, you know, the fringe portals all throughout Earth's solar system. And then that's the planets thing. 40 light years from Earth. That's the thing. I figure, if nothing else, there are a few fringe-worthy Bureau personnel who have been sent out specifically to just explore the, the, the star platform for their node and make contact or at least recon as many different alien races within that 40 light year span. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, in my campaign, um, uh, the fringe worthy are used to man, uh, various, uh, listing posts, uh, in the solar system. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I remember you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, and we just, we just basically, uh, finished up an adventure where, uh, that one of the, one of the farthest research bases or, or listing posts was on Pluto and uh, right on the side with a big heart. If you're familiar with how Pluto looks, um, the opposite side is Charon, which kind of gets in the way of your sensor. So that, that's where all their sensors are. But yeah, as I said, obviously all Bureau 13 GMs are going to add their, and they're, and believe it or not, I mean, there are some people to this day that don't realize that Bureau 13 and Incursion are the same universe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They just didn't, they may have not have kicked, you know, caught up with, oh, Joanne Barnes used to date this guy named Robert Harrison, who said he was a wink government agent. Yeah. <laughs> it. I didn't know that for years myself until Rich pointed out, he goes, go read Incursion again. And I contact, I'm like, son of a, you know, just realize <laughs> that these were in the same world. So, I said, yeah, this makes perfect sense, because Bureau 13 is the world where every story is possible. Yes, yes. 
And a lot of people with Bureau 13, if, if you don't, if you didn't realize that Incursion is the same thing, go to TriTechGames.com, get the Incursion, the three PDFs, uh, Incursion, Incursion 2, Canadians on the Galactic Frontier, and I think Poles on the Galactic Frontier for uh, Incursion 3. And you'll get a lot of background into what is out there in space that you can use for a Bureau 13 game. And it, it's kind of a galactic, sort of a regressing society, because the Constantinor Consortium, you know, they've got a magistrate, and they, oh, the entire royal family died, so we're going to make a clone. And, and, and you have the magistrate who now is putting these cyborgs on the, the, the Lightforge ships to, oh, collect taxes, and oh, yeah, our first officer, he didn't make it back. We, he, he, we saw him last on our last planet, and he didn't come back. And so the consortium is starting to get a little evil, and so the consortium is starting to regress. People are working 80-hour weeks instead of 30-hour weeks and making even less money, and so there's a lot of uh, political intrigue and drama in the consortium. And, they, oh, we had 8,000 worlds are down to, like, 900. Yeah, it's the utopia moving towards dystopia. Yeah, yeah. Um, although in Incursion 2 and 3, because of the Canadian Mounties are there, the Light Force does... And, I mean, this game has been out for, like, 10 years, folks. There's there's no spoiler alert. Um, you have the, the, the Light Force start copying the Mounties. And, I mean, you know the Mounties, and we always get our man. So it's like, yeah, the Light Force gets their, pulls their collective heads out and start getting rid of the magistrates and their cyborgs and power armor and taking over their ships again and becoming what they started out to be, a force of justice and peace. And so incursion races are good because you can, you know, you could have the Bureau have contacts with ZMEX Starport. I have that in my campaign. They've had them since 1890. And then the the current campaign, again, which has Jeff DeRef, Breakman Z, and Fur in it, you know, they can go to ZMEX Starport. Oh, yeah, you got, yeah, the humans, yeah, for Bureau 13. Yeah, we remember you guys. What do you need? So as far as any true connections that Bureau 13 might have in space, to my memory, I do not have any, oh, well, the Bureau 13 has this world and that world. It might be an Aliens Among Us. I have to apologize to Bruce. It has been a long time since I read his three his three supplements that he put out. But to my knowledge, there is no official, oh, the Bureau 13 has, you know, with the Trilaxian system 15 light years away. There's none of that to my knowledge. That is all going to be up to the particular Yeah, GM. I don't think anything I've read as far as official um, releases or supplements, has anything about uh, canon uh, diplomatic relations with the Bureau and anything off-world. It's always been kind of a piecemeal situation, like, this alien is, you know, we make a deal with this alien, but there's no, I don't think there's ever been a, a deal with an entire, like, space nation or anything like that. Right, some interstellar alliance that the Bureau hooks up with, right. yeah. Um... As I said, in my own campaign, these are the two sources I did for, and and one of them is OGL, one of them is D&D 2nd Edition. The D&D 2nd Edition, I did this as part of the Black Powder campaign that I was running. 
Tale of the Comet, where oh, you yeah, have the Rael, who are like, they kind of look like humans, um, have a very light purple tinge to them because of their blood vessels, and they have an extra finger on their hands. And they crash land on Earth, and they're being chased by an AI-led force of uh, robots, ranging from hover tanks to starships. So the Rael Consortium, they were merchants who had to become warriors. I've put that in my campaign. Also, from my dear friend Jonathan Thompson at Battlefield Press, he did a Pulp Fantasy OGL book called uh, Rocket Rangers. Now, it's Pulp Era, but I also added that to the Black Powder game. So, in my campaign, I have the inhabitants of the Vagan system and the Rail Consortium. Those are my links to... Oh, God, another one I added. Uh, 23rd Century Publishing, the Battlefields of the 23rd Century game. So, that Galactic Alliance... Uh, Galactic Alliance from that game, actually, my agents are the ambassadors to humanity. I, I put the Galactic... Yeah, it's supposed to be 2282, if you're familiar with the game. I made it modern day. So, yeah, I mean, I've pulled stuff from other sources, and those are my links. Where, oh, the Bureau has these official links with these extrasolar entities and alliances and federations and whatnot. So, yeah, it, it's the whole thing. YMMV, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Use what you want if it works for your campaign. Uh, Jonathan, you're you're running anything bureau right now? Do you have not at the moment? Uh, the, the the bureau thirteen campaign I was last uh, last running. The way I I, I head candidate for or well, I mean head cannon. I was the GM, so the cannon in my campaign was that um, <laughs> <laughs> it's cannon. It it's just your head. Cannon. It's it's yeah. cannon that hasn't been revealed to the players yet. That's what it is. But oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to blow out a secret. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, it was. Hell. Yeah, my own players don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Fur's the only one who's chimed into my podcast. Yeah, but in my campaign, it was uh, the the players. Uh, the bureau has a few treaties with certain powers, um, but they do not reveal it. It is the most top secret of of secrets, simply because the the men in black do exist, and there is that active. Hey, don't be stepping on our turf. So I Oh, so you've played out the bureau against the men in yeah. black and who are the protectors of the planet. Exactly, yeah. Okay, you've gone down that route. Yeah, I've definitely had the men in black. Me, I have the bureau. They are the men in black. I make it where okay, if there's an alien that touches down on the planet, the bureau, you know, okay, they're called in. It's like, "No, you guys, yeah, hey, look, pointing up there's the door. Use it. Get off our world. <laughs> yeah. We can't have you here. So, yeah, I'm glad that you, you brought, because we brought up men in, the Men in Black earlier listed from the game, and that there is some, and I'll say it, there is animosity between the two agencies, usually because of, um, not bragging rights, but just, yeah, the Men in Black, they're there specifically to monitor extraterrestrial activity. Well, in 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 my campaign I have it that the it's basically incorporated a little bit of XCOM. So, uh and I had started this before the 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 new uh reboots had come out, but if you've played in XCOM Enemy Unknown, like the um you have the Thin Men. I think I may have heard of that game a long time ago. Remember, I'm not a video yeah. gamer. <laughs> but you have the Thin Men which were you know, aliens in disguise as humans. It was, and that's why I have the the Men in Black. The Men in Black are definitely not human. 
you, from a distance or at a glance, you 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 know you wouldn't notice anything. But if if they get real close and you actually have a conversation with one, you're going to realize this guy's a little off. Well, yeah, I mean they even said they even said that in OGL yeah. where everything's a little out of date. They have older suits. Their cars are from the seventies, and so yeah, I mean they give off that just something like my other friend Carrie said, taint natural. Um, yeah, their manners, dress, and vehicles are just a little out of date. And so, yeah, you know, they might slip up and use 70s slang. Yeah. Or, yeah. They're wearing the so, 70s or 80s style black suits. And, yeah, so that, if yeah. at least in my campaign, the, the idea was that the men in black were the A, a phase of an invasion. Um, they were, they are protecting the Earth because they have plans for it. Oh. Okay. And with the the Ashanti, I like that idea. Was it the Asan- yeah. Ashanti probe gone? And Ashanti with yeah. that, that probe now, that Guardian probe now gone. You know, they're not the only ones who've discovered this prime real estate here, as we know. So they're kind of taking over its role, but not in a good way. And that's the thing. Technically, uh, technically, Earth, as far as the Milky Way goes, we are. If if you want to get, you know, as far as the core and you have closer stars, we're in the backwater. <laughs> we're on the edge. The Orion Cygnus arm is on the edge of the Milky Way galaxy. And it's like, yeah, we're we're kind of, you know, the backwater, back road, you know, aliens come by and they lock their doors and roll up their windows, so to speak, because we're just that backwater. We are that far away enough from any galactic community within the Milky Way where we don't talk to them humans much. We just sort of do flybys and see how they're doing, but we don't talk to them because they they, they ain't right, you know. <laughs> and so, well, I mean, if you look at a star map of the Milky Way, you will see that we are on the edge of the yeah. galaxy. And and the the convention that I've always had is the closer the stars are together, the tighter the, excuse me, the inter, the interstellar alliances and federations and consortiums and, you know, whatever confederacies. Um, oh, heck, another one I brought in was the stuff from the Mechanoids. I even brought in the Mechanoids, at, at, but the Nigelian Confederacy from the Palladium game Homeworld, the third book in the Mechanoid Invasion Trilogy. So you have the Nigelians, the Geno, the Ostrak, and the Borellians, and then also the Cyborg Men and the Warpers. So I brought those in as other alien races in my campaign. But yeah, um, I like that that you're bringing in that the men in black, they have their own agenda. Oh, yeah. And you're playing on that angle. It's a top secret government yeah. agency. It can't be good for the people. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those, fra- oh, no, my old gamers, the ones from 30 years ago, the one, the three that sadly have passed away, that was their thing. Hi, we're from the government. We're here to help you. No! Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just... Um, Oh, let's see. What else? I'm trying to see if there's any other thing here in B13 OGL that would be considered space. Well, they got UFOs, duh. The unidentified flying object is a harbinger of alien activity, magic, or government black ops. It's also a sign that there may be MIBs or men in black in the area soon. The Bureau is always looking for UFO reports and keeps a careful eye on those incidents. Oh, that's another. What was it? Um. Oh, God, the name of the Air Force. Project Blue Book. Yeah. You know that the Bureau was like the Greys with a microscope on them. Because what was it, the first UFO, and and we've discussed this before, 
The first UFO sighting was like in 1950-something up in Seattle. And, you know, Project Blue Book came and they tried to dissuade this guy and all this. And I think we did this like late last year, late 2020. We brought that in. We we talked about it here on the podcast. And so, yeah, oh no, Project Blue Book, they also, the Bureau would have, you know, butted heads with them. And probably even back in, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, when Project Blue Book was really a big thing, the Bureau already had technology, 90s technology, which could have, you know, oh yeah, well, we wiped that out and they don't have a report anymore. Oh yeah, no, the, yeah, I have, the Bureau would have subverted Project Blue Book from the start. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about, well, I mean, if you want to talk about aliens and things that come from outer space and all that, the spawn of Cthulhu. Yeah, even though they're elder gods, they still do come... Oh, when the planets are in alignment and the stars are right, you say the certain words, and they come from across the galaxy and corrupt everybody in some small New England coastal town. Technically, those are aliens. It's just they are, they are from, like, the deep, dark parts of space, where there are, like, hundreds of light years with no stars in between. They are just in deep space slumbering. Technically, those would also be considered outer space aliens. Just deep, 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 deep outer space. Um, And, of course, they come here thousands of years ago and they're resting at the bottom of the ocean floor and either somebody says the wrong spell or a nuclear weapon goes off and wakes them up. Oh, wait a minute, I just found another one. Goshnar. Long before recorded history, Goshnar of the Twelve Mouths fell to this planet to begin conquest of the Earth without much success. Yeah, so that's another alien that has been here on Earth, and every so... Let's see, physical description. A big, multi-eyed thing with 12 mouths. Appearing 100,000 years ago, Goshnar and his horde of slimy offspring were ruthlessly exterminated by Neanderthals. Deciding that his timing was just a little bit off, Goshnar began a 100,000-year nap that terminated in 66 AD. The Romans, realizing they had better things to do, exterminated his minions. He slept again until 1935. Trying something different, Goshnar implanted a tiny embryo at the base of this victim's spine. This gave him complete control over the victim until the embryo hatched and the grub ate the human victim. Realizing they had better things to do, Bureau 13 has repeatedly hunted down and exterminated the spawn of Goshnar, ruining his plans for world domination. His main ability is, or its main ability is to slip away and return for another attempt at world domination every few years. Goshnar, now with insomnia, hates Bureau 13 as considering fast food or religion as a vehicle to world control. You probably have a better chance than, you know, what he's been doing. But no, Goshnar, yeah, that's technically another alien threat. Yeah. Just not one that's all that bright. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've, you've always got better things to do than kill Goshnar spawn. Well, I mean, if I sit and, and, and they have it in Toledo, Goshnar, Toledo, Ohio, and I'm just like, that's rich. Yeah, I, that, <laughs> that we, yeah, that that's just, that's rich doing that. Okay, I mean, if we wanted to go there, um... Not necessarily an alien, but someone you could use as far as, oh, we have alien issues. Flash Jervis from South Bend, Indiana. He is a unique expert in the space that will be. He has a talent for seeing cause and effect in strange and unique ways. Physical description, a ruggedly handsome man with the physique of a physical professional athlete. Flash is the Bureau's resident expert on alien life. From his small observatory, he listens to the hydrogen songs of the stars and on occasion open communication things beyond our planet. He's an outstanding side with talents in telepathy and precognition. Unfortunately, his talent is tuned between a number of cosmic communication stations, 
so he sometimes gets data from the oddest places. Flash and his technician-slash-assistant Floyd can be found almost every night tinkering with his radio telescope and adding more technology that will help them get a better look at the universe. In 2010, Flash opened a channel to a lighthouse keeper on the edge of another galaxy, and they've become fast friends. He's taught the alien chess and checkers. The alien has spun stories of amazing life forms and races that travel the galaxy. Flash is also a social magnet for inventors, computer geeks, sci-fi fans, and young astronauts. On Tuesday, he tends bar at the local watering hole. His wife, who is very British, simply cocks an eyebrow and says, That's nice. So yeah, Flash Jervis is another thing that can be thrown in. Not necessarily an alien, but a contact. He's considered a friendly with the Bureau. He would be your an SME, subject matter expert. And sadly, we did not have stats written up for him. I, we missed that. Yeah, I got stats here from Mama Lasagna, based on my former co-worker Lasagna. I got Shay Tablet. We didn't do anything for Flash. Um, he'd be an ordinary. I mean, well, no, he's got the telepathy and precognition. You could, yeah, I think he's got low level psi. Yeah, so it's kind of you could give him. You know, he'd be like maybe fourth level in whatever method you use psionics. Either the bureau classes here that John whipped up, or D twenty modern if you're using that, or if you want to use uh, uh, what I use, Ultimate Psionics from Dream Scarred Press which is just a reworking of the Expanded Psy Handbook from 3.5. Uh, no, that is it for the friends, neutrals, and enemies of the Bureau that have anything to do with aliens and the affairs thereof. Yeah. Um, just grab, I mean, even if you don't have Incursion, if you, it's your campaign. If you have an alien race that you like, that you say in your backstory for the Bureau... Oh, yeah, and, you know, after the Massacre of 77, they got alien help. You know, somebody crashed, and one of the first new Bureau teams managed to forge this treaty with them. Fine. Your campaign, your rules, Rich and all of us just laid down the groundwork for you to build upon. That's all role-playing games are. It's the setting, and then you're off to the races. Like I said, I pulled stuff from... An old Palladium game, a second edition D&D box set, and a PDF made by my buddy's company, Battlefield Press. And now I have a vibrant, rich, interstellar community that my players, you know, oh, this race and that race and this particular character. Yeah, I have this. And I mean, some of these characters are well-loved. I've got a sort of a dolphin man called a Thessalon, and he's like, he's just known as the Tech Master. Oh, when I bring out the Tech Master, fur and character, she's like, oh, yeah, hi, how you doing? Because her character time travel. That's how I moved her from the Friday game Black Powder to the Saturday game Modern Day, which we're wrapping up. So she's, what, all of a sudden, her friend, the Tech Master, is now like 125 years older, and he's now being helped by all his acolytes slash assistants slash trainees. So when I bring that character up, yeah, fur likes it because it, for her, because she just likes how I roleplay it, but also... It's another link to her past being in the Victorian era and then getting sent out into space and meeting this guy. So having, you know, Bureau 13 aliens, depending on what you put in, if you use Incursion or other sources, or the many that uh, Bruce talked about in his Aliens Among Us supplement from Outpost Games, I mean, if you look, you can find Outpost Games products. If you look, they are out there. There, there are places that sell them. and so. Bruce Lott put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into these things. He did it for Rich to help add to the Bureau 13 universe. And so if you can get your hands on them, 
Of course, I have copies. Well, because Bruce is a dear close friend of mine. And so, and I've gotten them, I think, I think via Rich, and I end up getting another copy later. And it's Adventures in the Steel City, Aliens Among Us, and I'm blanking on the third. But he put out three separate supplements. And and it is, it's been a long time, folks, since I've read them. So that's why I'm sitting there, I'm looking at these, I'm going, oh yeah, I remember this vaguely. Yeah, because, you know, I think I do remember the Red Rocket Ranger. Yeah, vaguely. It has been a long time since I've read Bruce's work, and it's no, trust me, folks, it's no slight against him. Um, also, if you want to make the Greys actually menacing, uh, they're in one of the Pathfinder First Edition bestiaries. I mean, here the Greys are painted as kind of comedic. Oh no, I've read the stats for the Greys for Pathfinder First Edition. They are anything but comedic. They are <clears throat> the same thing that the Greys explore humanity's innards through. We'll leave it at that. And it just, yeah. I mean, they, I'm reading these, and I mean, they're actually lawful evil. Because they follow scientific protocol and everything. But, yeah, they have an agenda. Also, another good source of uh, OGL and Greys. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember. It's from Scor- the now defunct Scorch Earth Games. What is Otherverse America? And they have Greys, Half Greys. And it's a pretty decent history. Basically, in the setting, you find a moon base, and there is this creche of you can mix genetic material with greys. The gray culture itself is dead. So they have these half-grays, where they mix human and gray DNA. And yeah, they're they're taller versions of the greys. But yeah, again, the greys in this setting are not in a... They're not painted in a good light. They were seen as galactic conquerors that died out for some reason. And they left this creche in the Sea of Tranquility on the moon. So they mention, okay, the Greys, the Jern, the Reptilians, which I'm assuming are the, you know, the whole thing about we're hearing on the news. Oh, this person is taken over by a Reptilian. And the Nordics. Now, the Nordics, I think, and don't hold me this, folks, but I'm trying to, I'm going from memory here. I think it's along the lines of... They kind of look, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, tall, good-looking, statuesque, and they are a spacefaring culture. So, yeah, that that's what I'm guessing the Nordics are. Yeah, I love it. Um, humanity would be surprised at the size of the galactic community out there and the fact that Earth is under a quarantine. Yeah, let's face it. The, the general consensus is that Earth is considered a backwater planet. Um, usually rules for like, oh, we're part of the galactic community. You have to have a one-world government. People, we got almost 200 nations here on this planet. We fight over the stupidest stuff, things like gender, ethnicity, color of skin, uh, gender, uh, sexual characteristics, socioeconomic. You think that any enlightened society is going to let us in the galactic community? Yeah, that's why Earth is under quarantine, like it says here. So, yeah, um, if the people, if, if anybody on Earth is going to have any contact with aliens, it's going to be the Bureau and its international brethren, MI-13, the Canadian version, the League in Africa, uh, Fantomatique in France. It, it's all in Bureau 13, all the various agencies that the Bureau has various um, interaction with. Get the incursion book for Bureau GMs. Get the incursion, the three PDFs from TriTac Games. That'll be your first thing in adding aliens into a Bureau 13 game. There's like 40 races. 
ZMEX Starport, you can use that. Let's say if you go out into space, your team, for whatever reason, that's a good place where you can say. You can tweak the incursion thing to say, yeah, the Bureau 13 team ends up there. Again, you can use that as a thought experiment. And if you do or you add races of your own to the Bureau 13, your Bureau 13 universe, uh, try contacting us, fans of the Gaming on the Frontier podcast, and Bureau 13 agents everywhere. Those are our two Facebook groups that would apply to this. But if you contact us via those Facebook groups, let us know what alien races you've put into Bureau your Bureau 13 campaigns. Where you got them from. How did you integrate them? Like I've, I've said for years, feedback, feedback, feedback. We love to hear feedback from our listeners about any ideas that we may come up with as thought experiments. We want you guys to take take off and run with them. And then let us know what you're doing. To see, it's like, you know, because me, Bruce, Jonathan, we're all, oh, we didn't even think of that idea. And and you've heard this podcast now for, you know, 12 years. We've had all these thought experiments. We would love to hear what you guys do with the stuff that we spot out here for two hours every other Wednesday night. So, as I said, contact us via those various forums. We'll get back to you as soon as we get your feedback, and we will hit you back with an answer ASAP. And there will be more for you all next week. But until then... This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license, No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.